Hey there, I'm Kristen Carr, women's minister here at Johnson Ferry, and I'm thrilled to welcome you to the JF Women Bible Study Podcast. I'm so glad you're taking time to tune in. It may just be the best decision of your week. Our goal with online Bible study is to help you find time to be in the Word amidst your busy schedules and full lives. I'm praying these next few minutes will be life-giving, encouraging, and challenging as your Bible study leader walks you through a fresh week of unpacking truth from God's Word. As she digs into your study today, she'll provide resources and suggest a little homework to help you get the most out of this online Bible study experience. So, ladies, are you ready? Grab your Bible and let's get started. Hello, welcome to Truth Plus Grace. My name is Tiffany Grayson, and this is Chapter 4, Stumbling. Jude 24 and 25 says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority, before all time, and now and forever. Amen. That's interesting. It says, now to him, as in God. And it says, who is able to keep us from stumbling? Able. But what does that mean? Well, friend, let's look at this verse a little closer. God is able to keep us from stumbling. The word able, and this is a fill in the blank if you're following along with notes. The word able means having sufficient power. Power skill, and resources to do something. I'll say it again. The word able means having sufficient power, skill, and resources to do something. In this case, the act of stumbling is speaking to the idea of a true or sincere believer falling into the temptation of apostasy. Well, that's a big churchy word, isn't it? Apostasy. What is that? Apostasy, and here's another fill-in-the-blank for you, is the act of refusing to continue to follow, obey, or recognize your religious faith. I'll repeat it. Apostasy is the act of refusing to continue to follow, obey, or recognize your religious faith. It's the idea of abandoning or revolting against the truth of God's Word. It's a defiance of an established system or authority. It's a rebellious abandonment or a breach of your faith. I often think of it as, quote, falling away from your faith. In some cases, it might even include renouncing your faith or your religious teachings. Yikes, you might be thinking, and you're right. Let's talk about it for a minute. I have an example that I'd like to share with you. A couple of chapters ago, we discussed the Israelites. You remember them, right? And here comes some fill-in-the-blanks for you. It was God's man, Moses. Moses is a fill-in-the-blank. It was God's man, Moses, who led the Israelites out of oppression in Egypt towards the promised land. Remember that. And you might also remember that Moses' brother, Aaron, Aaron was also a part of that story. He was the mouth of Moses as they negotiated with Pharaoh for the release of the Israelites. Lastly, you might remember that Moses had a sister. And her name was Miriam, Miriam, and she is most famous for her role in saving Moses as a baby. She was the one who put baby Moses in the Nile River and watched over him until he was rescued by the Pharaoh's daughter. 
She also bravely suggested that a Hebrew woman, Moses' mother, might be fetched in order to nurse and care for the baby. Now, as an adult, Miriam again played a major role in the lives of Moses and the Israelites. She was with them when they fled Egypt. She was with them when they crossed the Red Sea. In fact, she led all of the women in a celebratory song, praising God for saving them from the hands of the Egyptian army. And I put this verse as a reference in your notes. It's Exodus fifteen twenty. It says, And Miriam the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took the timbrel or tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dancing. Yes, there we see Miriam's role. For the first time, she was a prophetess. In other words, she was one of God's spokespeople. She had divine, God-given authority to speak on behalf of God to his people. These were words that were not her own, but they would have been given to her directly from God. And although Moses was the most prominent prophet in that day, we're told very clearly that Miriam also had the gift of prophecy. There aren't many references to Miriam in the Bible during her adult life, but we do know that she was there with Moses and Aaron and the other Israelites as they wandered through the wilderness and they sought the promised land. The next mention of Miriam, and this is a fill-in-the-blank for you, is found in the book of Numbers. In the book of Numbers. Now, as a side note, the book of Numbers is known as the book of wanderings. It's the account of the Israelites' experiences as they wandered in the wilderness. What should have been an 11-day journey turned into a 40-year difficult experience, friend. Scholars believe that this book was likely written by Moses himself. So turn with me in your Bibles to Numbers. We're going to start with chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. And as a reminder, I will be reading from the New American Standard Version of the Bible. You're welcome to follow along in your Bible or just sit back and listen as I read. I'll begin reading Numbers chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? And the Lord heard it. Okay, friend, let's dig into these verses. This passage, and here comes a fill in the blank for you, this passage starts out by telling us something important. It tells us, then Miriam and Aaron spoke. Hmm. This makes it pretty clear that Miriam, not Aaron, was the primary speaker or the mouthpiece in this discussion because her name is listed first. Every other time they are listed together, Aaron is mentioned first. That would be traditional. You would find it that way since he was the eldest male in the family. This time, however, Miriam is listed first, letting us know that she was the instigator or the primary speaker in this conversation. Now, the verse continues to tell us they they spoke against Moses, but the Hebrew word used in this text was actually the feminine, and that's a fill in the blank, the feminine singular tense of spoke meaning she spoke. I'll say it again. The Hebrew word used in this text was actually the feminine singular tense of spoke, meaning she spoke. She may have enlisted Aaron for moral support, but again, this further supports the idea that Miriam was indeed the one speaking out. So what exactly was the problem? Why was Miriam and Aaron, why together were they speaking out against Moses? Moses, who's God's chosen leader of the Israelites. Well, according to this text, we're informed that Moses, and here's your fill in the blank, Moses had married a Cushite woman. Moses married a Cushite 
woman. Now, some versions of the Bible may use the word Ethiopian. And Ethiopia in those days was not modern-day Ethiopia. Instead, it was an area located just south of Egypt in modern-day Sudan. It was, at the time, inhabited by the descendants of Cush. You're thinking, who is Cush? Well, Cush was the firstborn son of Ham. Ham was Noah's son. You might remember this story, but why is Ham important to this story? I'll tell you. Ham was the youngest son of Noah, and after the flood, he sinned against his father, and Noah cursed Ham and his lineage, all of his descendants. And so all of his descendants were the Cushites. All right, so we have Moses marrying a Cushite woman. Now, many scholars believe that Moses' first wife, her name was Zipporah, she had likely died at this point in the story, though we aren't told any details. But if so, if she had passed, it appears that Moses has now remarried, which, hey, if you think about it, it would be pretty impressive for a man who is nearing 100 years of age, right? But anyway, there are no details listed in the Bible about the second marriage and no more details about this specific Cushite woman. Some historical accounts and some scholars believe that this woman was possibly Ethiopian royalty. But again, those possible details are not revealed in the Bible and therefore they're not a basis for our study today. So back to our question, why were Miriam and Aaron so upset at this time about this possible marriage? Honestly, we don't know. Certainly the Israelites, including Moses and Aaron and Miriam, certainly they would know the historical accounts of those who had married outside of their belief system. God had been very clear throughout history in regards to marrying those who were from a pagan background, and the Cushites were definitely a part of a pagan people group. In fact, years later, if we were to fast forward from our story today, Moses himself would encourage the Israelites not to marry foreigners, and that's noted in Deuteronomy 7.3. So, was this a new wife in this story? Probably. If so, was she a foreigner? Yes. Could she have looked different, or acted differently, or spoken differently, or even believed differently? Yes. Yes, I believe so. As a matter of fact, the word Cush means black, and historical records and paintings lead us to believe that the Cushites were dark-skinned people, so she may have looked different from them. But is that the point of this story? Is this a story about interracial marriages? No. And that's a fill-in-the-blank. No, absolutely not. Let's look back at verse 2 where we'll find what we're looking for. Back at verse 2, it says, And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? Ah, there it is. This is the basis for the uprising. And here come your fill in the blanks. These two were quick to point out that Moses was not the only one God spoke to. He was not the only one he used to speak to the Israelite nation. In fact, The Israelite nation was quite large, now containing more than an estimated 2.5 million people, and it was still growing. But friends, this was not an issue about marriage. And that's fill in the blank. It's not an issue about marriage. It was an issue about Miriam and Aaron doubting Moses' continued role as prophet and leader of the Israelites. This was the beginning of a coup. 
Now remember, Miriam and Aaron had also been mightily blessed with spiritual gifts. They were both prophets. Aaron was the first high priest of the Israelite nation. Both of them spoke with power and authority. Both of them were leaders. But all of a sudden, they decided that they didn't like something Moses was doing. So they called into question his position and his ability to carry out his responsibilities. Hmm, I wonder. Do we ever do that, friend? Do we ever look at someone else in a position of authority and question their ability to do the job? Even when our head is saying, well, God allowed them to be in that position, do we still question whether or not God got it right? Do we wonder if God accidentally forgot to look at the rest of us, the ones who have the same or similar gifts and talents? Do we focus on the mistakes that people are making instead of all the good things that they do? Are we so bold as to think that we have the full story or understand the whole picture? Do we think that any of it, anything that is happening, do we think any of it surprises God? Who are we to question the will of God and or his plan? Who are we to question his plans? At this point in the story, and here comes a fill in the blank, Miriam and Aaron had a bad case of the oversized spiritual ego. Oversized spiritual ego. They believed that they were just as special and just as worthy as Moses. In fact, they believed that they maybe could just do the job a little better. Have we ever done that? Do we ever feel as though we've, quote, arrived or that we've accomplished something really spiritually superior? Is our spiritual ego overinflated? Do we have a false sense of our own spiritual ability and understanding? Yes, yes, we are each unique with special, God-given gifts and talents. But friend, that doesn't mean that he hasn't given similar gifts to others. And it definitely doesn't mean that just because we have a gift, that we are the best person for the job at that moment. Now, why, you might be asking? Well, sometimes when battling our own spiritual egos, we forget to sincerely and earnestly seek direction and answers from God. Instead, we often think that we already know what the answer should be. And we operate accordingly. I'm guilty of that, are you? But what happens when the answer is something different? Something unexpected, perhaps? Do we stop and humble ourselves and seek God's true will? Oversized spiritual egos can lead us down a dangerous path, friend. When we think we know the answers, you know, based on what we think we know, well, it's in that moment that we stop turning to God. We stop seeking His will, His direction. We stop seeking His counsel. Oversized spiritual egos, and here's a fill in the blank, can lead to spiritual apostasy. Oversized spiritual egos can lead to spiritual apostasy. Oversized spiritual egos can lead us to abandon, revolt, defy, or fall away from God. I'm going to say that one again. Oversized spiritual egos can lead us to abandon, revolt, defy, or fall away from God. And friend, if we aren't careful, it's a major downfall within the church and our community. It's a slippery slope. And that's where Miriam and Aaron found themselves. The end of verse 2 tells us, and here's a fill in the blank, and the Lord heard it. The Lord heard it. Of course he did. He knows all. He sees all. But what happens next is very interesting. Verse 3 tells us, Now the man Moses was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. 
What's that about? If Moses was really the author of this book, did he just point out how humble he was? Interesting. Well, scholars are equally as puzzled by this, but here's my take on it. Moses was humble, but the humble in terms of meaning not proud or assertive. He did not provoke Miriam and Aaron in this attack. He was a true servant leader. He was submissive to the Lord. In this verse, we're able to see that Moses himself did not instigate this event. Okay, so let's see what happens next. We're going to look at Numbers 12, verses 4 through 8. I'm going to read Numbers 12, verses 4 through 8. And suddenly, the Lord said to Moses, excuse me, and Aaron and to Miriam, you three come out to the tent of meeting. So the three of them came out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the doorway of the tent. And he, God, called Aaron and Miriam. And when they had both come forward, God said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. With him, I speak mouth to mouth, even openly and not in dark sayings. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then, excuse me, why then were you not afraid to to speak against my servant, against Moses? Oh, goodness. The Lord came down, friend, to personally deal with this attack against Moses. He called all three siblings together, and then he called out Miriam and Aaron for their actions. He said, how dare you? How dare you question the position of Moses? How dare you consider yourself as equals? Then then the Lord went on to point out that his method, and this is a fill in the blank for you, God's method of speaking to the prophets, i.e. dreams and visions, was not the same as how he communicated with Moses. His method of speaking to the prophets, meaning dreams and visions, is not the same as how he communicated with Moses. With Moses, God spoke face to face, mouth to mouth, it said, openly, not in the dark. Think about that for a moment, friend. Think about it. I mean, thanks to Jesus and the salvation he offers us, we, you and I, have the ability to hear the voice of God via the Holy Spirit. He speaks to us in our hearts and our minds with thoughts and conviction. We can also hear the voice of God through his word, the word of God, the Bible. However, most of us do not get to see God or hear his voice directly, live and in person, not until we reach heaven. And oh, the glorious day that will be. The fact that God spoke to Moses just as I'm speaking to you right now, it blows my mind. The fact that God appeared to Moses in person multiple times, wow, just wow, what a privilege. And I assure you, Moses knew what a privilege it was. So God asked Miriam and Aaron a very important question. In verse 8, he says, Why are you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Moses, the most faithful one, the one who mediates between the Israelites and God, the one who clearly, if God had an issue with, he would speak directly to. Why? And that's a fill in the blank. Why, God asked, did you speak out against him? Him being Moses. Why did you speak out against Moses? And then verse nine, it says, so the anger of the Lord 
burned. That's a fill in the blank, friend. The anger of the Lord burned against them and he departed. Ooh, I don't know about you, but I find that sentence very scary and fiercely intimidating. The anger of the Lord burned against them. Ooh, that paints a picture, doesn't it? I don't want to be any part of that. No, thank you. And then it tells us that the Lord departed. He left. Now keep in mind, Moses is a witness to this whole conversation, but he is not playing an active part. Miriam and Aaron, on the other hand, have just been called out. Talk about a family meeting. And these siblings, they're all around 100 years old having this meeting. So what do you think happened after God left? I mean, in your mind, do you picture them standing there with their mouths hanging open, staring at each other, unsure of what to say? Or do you picture them kneeling on the ground, bowing in respect? Do you think Moses had heard the rumors or the rumblings of a possible coup? Do you think he was shocked or hurt or even disappointed by what he was hearing? The truth is, there isn't much time to wonder what happened because we are quickly told. Numbers 12 verse 10 said, But when the cloud had withdrawn from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous, as white as snow. And Aaron turned toward Miriam. Behold, she was leprous. 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 As in, she instantly had leprosy. Behold. That word is used twice in that. Tells us something big is happening. A change is coming. It was a big change. She instantly had leprosy. Isn't it interesting that it was Miriam who was struck with leprosy? Again, this gives credence to the idea that it was indeed Miriam who instigated or led this charge on Moses. Aaron may have agreed, but his role seems to be in following her lead. The curse of leprosy is a very interesting topic. This was designed to be a noticeable punishment for a very public sin. It was a physical symbol of her spiritual ailment. Let's talk about it. Leprosy is a highly contagious bacterial disease that causes nerve damage. And I've put a picture in your notes so that you can kind of get a look of what this may have looked like at an advanced stage, which I'll come back to, but I believe she was kind of instantly at that advanced stage because of how it talked about her being as white as snow. But it's a very contagious bacterial disease. It can cause nerve damage. It can affect the skin, the eyes, and even the respiratory tract. Many people with leprosy are unable to feel physical pain. Sometimes they lose parts of their hands and and their limbs, their feet, extremities, because they repeatedly injure those areas because they lose the feeling. It can be very painful to go through. The Israelites believed leprosy, and here's a fill in the blank for you. They believed leprosy to be a curse from God because no one knew how you got it, how or when it was spread, and there was no cure. So as you might imagine, the people were terrified of the disease. In those days, skin ailments such as leprosy caused one to be unclean. That's a fill in the blank. You were known as unclean. Those deemed unclean were required to live outside of the city limits. City limits is a fill in the blank. They were required to live outside of the city limits. They were unable to be around other people. Leviticus 13, 45 and 46, and I noted it in your notes, but this is what it says. As for the leper who has the infection, 
His clothes shall be torn, and the hair of his head shall be uncovered, and he shall cover his mustache and cry, Unclean! Unclean! And then he shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Ooh, leprosy, friend, is a life changer. In fact, it was sometimes referred to as a living death, and that's a fill in the blank, referred to as a living death. Miriam was cursed with leprosy because her spiritual ego had caused her to question God. She was doubting his will and his ways. And here's a fill in the blank. Miriam's outward appearance was a sign of the inward condition of her soul. Her outward appearance was a sign of the inward condition of her soul. Just as physical leprosy is highly contagious, it's a fill in the blank, highly contagious, so is spiritual leprosy. Spiritual leprosy or apostasy, there's that big word again. It's easily spread amongst friends and family. It doesn't take much to spread the germs of pride, doubt, fear, or anger. I mean, look at Miriam and Aaron. The Israelites, well, they were directed to separate themselves when faced with such an illness. Do we do that? Do we separate ourselves while we humble ourselves and repent? Or do we share our germs with others, our, our spiritual apostasy germs? Do you spread the dissension amongst the ranks? Let me ask you this. When one of your friends or family members is struggling, are you quick to counsel them and pray with them? Do you join them in their battle? Do you separate yourselves from them? Or do you seek help? Let's see what Miriam's brothers did. We're going to continue reading in Numbers 12, verse 11 through 13. It says, Then Aaron said to Moses, O my Lord, and this friend is noted as a lowercase l, which is a sign of respect. So Aaron is speaking out of respect to Moses. O my Lord, he said, I beg you, do not account this sin to us in which we have acted foolishly and in which we have sinned. Oh, do not let her be like one dead, whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes from his mother's womb. And then Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, Oh, God, heal her, I pray. Oh, immediately, and here's a fill in the blank, Aaron repents. Aaron repents. He recognizes his sin. He takes responsibility for it. And he begs Moses to help his sister. Aaron repents. He recognizes his sin. He takes responsibility for it, and he begs Moses to help his sister. And then Moses, he cries out to God. He cries out to God. Heal her, he cried out. I mean, friends, think of all the life they had done together. They were siblings, after all. They had suffered in Egypt together, especially Aaron and Miriam. They had experienced the plagues and Pharaoh's refusal to let them leave town. They had crossed the Red Sea together. They had celebrated their salvation from the Egyptian army together. They had been wandering for years in the desert, wondering when they might reach the promised land. And now, because they doubted God and his plan, they had doubted who God had chosen to lead them. Now, they were watching their sister suffer. Immediately, painfully, they knew what this curse could do. They cried out to God. They prayed that God would show mercy to Miriam, prayed that he would heal her. Now, it seems God was very angry. You can hear it in his response to Moses' cries. And this is verse 14. I put it in your notes. The Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, would she not bear her shame for seven days? Let her be shut up for seven days outside of the camp, and afterward she may be received again. 
In other words, friend, Miriam had a very public price to pay for her actions, and she needed to repent. Step into her sandals for a moment, friend. Let's do that. At this point, Miriam knows that she's made a mistake. She questioned God's authority. She questioned his plan. She questioned his choice and who would lead the Israelites. And God was putting her back in her place. But with a painful, seven-day-long reminder, this was a lesson she would not forget. Imagine the physical pain of being healthy one minute and completely leprous the next. Your skin instantly peeling away. The numbness you would feel in your extremities. Your eyes would burn. Your lungs would struggle. It says she was snow white. Her her skin was white as snow. Her dark skin was white as snow. And as your brothers led you out of camp that day, because of your uncleanliness, others would hear your cries coming from afar. People would run to catch a glimpse of what was happening. They would see your physical deformity. The chatter would soon hush as people would stare with their mouths opening, wondering what had just happened. What happened to Miriam? They would ask. Is that leprosy? What has she done to deserve the curse of God? But Miriam, in pain, wouldn't see all of that at the time. But over the course of the next seven days, she would relive those moments over and over. She would realize that her testimony was forever changed. Her verbal actions would have consequences. As a prophetess, she was held to a higher standard. She had fallen, fallen away from God. What would come of her? Those were probably the longest seven days of her life. Do you think Aaron snuck away at dusk to check on her? Do you think Moses greeted her in the morning with a prayer? Do you think they sent her food or even a blanket? I mean, as a leper, they were forbidden to be near her. But she was their sister, their beloved sister. No matter the action, they loved her. They didn't want to watch her suffer. Now, as a side note, some people say, why wasn't Aaron struck with leprosy? If he was a part of this, why wasn't he struck also? If Aaron had been struck with leprosy, He would not have been able to continue in his role as the high priest, and that would be according to the laws of Leviticus. Even though it was Moses who actually prayed to God for healing, perhaps God showed Aaron mercy from the affliction so that he could intercede as a priest. I don't know. Let's see what happened. We're going to read Numbers 12, verse 15. So Miriam was shut outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not move on until Miriam was received again. Friends, Miriam did her time. And then here's your fill in the blank. And Miriam came back. She came back. That's the amazing part to me. Think about it for a moment. How many of us would have run for the hills, would have been ashamed to show our face again in public? Yet Miriam, a prophetess, a leader, she had fallen away from the truth. She had doubted God. She had questioned him. She had sinned. We've established that and she'd been publicly punished. It would have been really easy for her to walk away, but she didn't. She refused to let Satan win that battle, friend. We aren't told the details of those seven days. I wish we were, but we aren't. In my mind, and based on the qualities that Miriam possessed and the things that she did or the character that she exhibited in every other account of her life, Well, I believe that she used those seven days as a period of spiritual cleansing. 
in my mind. I imagine her on the outskirts of camp, huddled up under a tree for cover. There I see her singing and praying. She knew she'd sinned. She prayed for forgiveness. She prayed for healing. And just as she had led all those Israelite women in a song of celebration after they had crossed the Red Sea, I imagine her fashioning some sort of tambourine again, weaving branches together, using leaves and stones and bits of cloth. At first, her singing was probably meek and quiet. But as the week went on, I imagine her singing at the top of her lungs, shouting praises to God for his mercy and his favor. And back at camp, I also imagine that her songs were heard from afar. Again, quiet at first, but then with so much passion and so much energy that it caused all the people to gather in throngs. And in my mind, they too were rejoicing with Miriam. So when the time came that her body had healed and the seven days had passed, and whether or not that was instant healing or over the seven-day time period, I don't know. Whatever the case, I believe that in that moment she ran back to camp where the women and the children would gather around her to sing and dance and give praise to God. Joyfully, they celebrated with her. Seven days. The number seven is used in the Bible to signify perfection and completion. Friend, it isn't a coincidence that Miriam was out of camp for seven days. During that time, Miriam was made whole physically and spiritually. We know, based on verse 15, that the Israelite people didn't pick up and move. They didn't move on until she was back with them again. What a sign of respect and honor. Miriam's story, and I put this in your notes, her story does not end here. However, the details of the remainder of her life are scarce. Numbers 20 verse 1 tells us that Miriam died and was buried in Kadesh. And although she never entered the promised land, I assure you that she was thankful for the journey. Her role, though a supporting role, was a very important one. So let me ask you, friend, have you ever, or are you now, in a period of apostasy? Do you feel like you've fallen away from God? Are you you turning to Him for guidance? Are you seeking His will for your life? It's all too easy to fall into the trap of thinking that we have it figured out, that we have it figured out, because we don't. And just as the Israelites had no idea that they would be wandering around in a circle in the desert for 40 years, because remember, they didn't know the ending of their story at the time. We today don't know what's next for us either. We don't know the ending to our story either. We don't have all the information. We need to seek God's direction in our life. Going back to the verse at the beginning of this lesson from Jude 24 and 25, where it says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forever. Amen. Well, we worked our way through the stumbling part, didn't we? But when the scripture goes on to say, And to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. Oh, I want to stop and look at that for a second. The word make right there means able to or to have the power to, meaning God is able to. He has the power to. 
and this is the important part, friend, hear this because it's important and it's in your notes. Even though we stumble, that's a fill in the blank, even though we stumble, God has the power to present you as blameless in his sight. God has the power to present you as blameless in his sight. He does so with great joy. Joy. Friend, through salvation in Jesus Christ, we as Christians can be presented without any blame or any guilt or any fault. We can be presented to God in heaven where he will receive us joyfully. He rejoices in your sight, friend. He rejoices to see you. No matter what you are facing today, it's not too late to tell God about it. I pray that he meets you where you're at and gives you direction for the obstacles you're facing and that he comforts you in your time of need. God loves you. He sees you. He hears you. And he receives you joyfully. Now, friend, is the time to worship and celebrate like Miriam. Let's pray. And as it says in Jude 25, let us say, To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be all glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Lord, we thank you for those words. We thank you for all that you do for us. Lord, I ask right now that you be with us and remind us that we need you. Lord, and the more time we spend with you, the more time we want to spend with you. Lord, I thank you for this precious time and this story together. Lord, I ask that you watch over those listening. Keep them safe. Draw them close to you. Comfort them in their time of need. To you be all the glory and majesty and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Friend, if you're looking for daily encouragement through Scripture, I'll hope you continue to follow Truth Plus Grace on Instagram or Truth Plus Grace on Facebook. You can do a search for either in either place and find there I post daily scripture just to encourage you. Secondly, we are looking for ways to connect as a community of people going through this study together. So check your email for more information, or if you're not on our email distribution list, please send me a message at Tiffany Tiffany at truthplusgrace.com. That's the email address, Tiffany at truthplusgrace.com. Just spell it out. And I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for spending this time in God's Word together. 